Welcome to the Lakeside Baptist Church Podcast. We pray you are blessed as you hear the Word of God today. For more information regarding Lakeside Baptist Church, please visit lakeside.asn.au. Well, as uh, Sarah said, we are continuing our series looking at the book of Galatians. I have to admit, this is kind of a weird experience. I'm up here on stage preaching and there's only about four or five people looking at me with masks on. Uh, and so I'm, I, I will gauge their response. Hopefully you will uh, obviously be involved and engaged online. Let me start by sharing a story. You, you may have heard of this guy. Here's a picture up on the screen. Charles Blondin or Blondini the Great was a great um, a tightrope walker. Uh, you can probably see this picture now, and you've heard me tell numerous stories about this guy. This guy was incredible. In 1859, he decided he would put a tightrope across Niagara Falls from one side of America to the other in Canada. I can't remember how long it was, something a few thousand feet, uh, and obviously uh, a bit of a drop if it was to fall off. No nets. And so he started walking, a tightrope walking across this tightrope, uh, over the Niagara Falls and he did it at different ways he did it blindfolded he did it in a sack he did it with wheelbarrows he did it on a stilts uh, in one occasion he actually went halfway stopped had a little portable oven and and cooked an omelet an egg omelet on the tightrope and then continued but one of the other things he did which was was quite incredible he actually carried a person here up on the screen you can see a picture of him carrying a person on his back now, this person who he carried on his back was actually his manager. Um, I don't know if the manager was just, it was just part of his occupational hazard. Uh, but in some ways, it's a really cool and a, a, a very visual demonstration of trust, of faith, that Blondine's manager was willing, so much so, that he trusted and believed that he would be able to get him to the other side, that he would actually um, hop on his back and allow him to carry him. Again, no nets or anything. And I was thinking about that image. Imagine if Blondine's manager, as they're going halfway across, they get halfway across Niagara Falls, he's on his back on the tightrope. Imagine if Blondine's manager said, hey, hey, you're right, uh, I'll just hop off. I can walk the rest of the way. I don't actually need your help. I can do this on my own now. I, I think I could do this. You would laugh. It would be absurd. There's no way he would do that because he isn't capable. And, and this is kind of where we're at in the book of Galatians. Uh, if you remember last week, we looked at chapter 2, the end of chapter 2. And in that, we see that Paul, the Apostle Paul, confronts Peter, the Apostle Peter, for hypocrisy. And one of the things that he, he kind of gave it to him for was the fact that he acted differently in front of a different group of people. The Gentile believers, the Christians who were Gentiles, who had no real understanding of the Jewish law, uh, he would eat with them and no problems. And then all of a sudden we read that the, there was a group known as the circumcision group. Last week I actually got in trouble by my 16-year-old daughter for saying the word circumcision too many times. I will limit it to five today. So I've already said it twice. I've got three in the bank. But anyway, this group, this circumcision group, uh, they came up from Jerusalem and said, actually, you have to believe in Jesus and the law of Moses. You need to be circumcised and you need to uh, follow these customs. So much so that Peter, the apostle Peter was influenced by that, that he stopped eating with the Gentiles because he, though he was afraid of their criticism. 
And it was like the Gentile believers then started thinking, the, the Gentile believers in Galatians started thinking, oh, okay, maybe, maybe we too need to follow the law as well. And it's almost like they had gotten halfway over the tightrope with Jesus and all of a sudden they thought, no, we can do this on our own or no, we, we need to follow the law. Jesus, can you put me down and I'll start walking on my own. And so this morning we pick it up in chapter 3. Just after this confrontation, just after Paul says, hey, this is not the gospel. The true gospel is that you are declared righteous uh, or, or, or justified purely by your faith in Jesus. Remember, we had this phrase at the foot of the cross, the ground is level. And, and at, meaning everyone is the same. No one is more spiritual. You can't earn your way to heaven. You, can't, uh, you don't need Jesus plus something else. Now, we may not have circumcision or the law of Moses, but we put other things there like coming to church or giving money or, or serving. And, and we make these things a spiritual marker and they become legalism. And so this morning, chapter 3, we're going to read through chapter 3 and we're going to see Paul address this same issue. He's going to bring a different argument and then we're going to really dig into the last three or four verses because there's, there's some beautiful gold there in the last three or four verses. So let's look at chapter 3, verse 1. You can follow on the screen or if you have the Bible as well, you can read. Uh, this is what he says. And, and, and actually, Paul does not hold back. This is probably some of the strongest language in all of the New Testament. He says this, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was portrayed as crucified. He says to the Galatians straight out, you're foolish. And uh, there's a sense there that he, he's saying that the, their actions, they're being spiritually dull or they're not making sense. They're, they're being foolish. What are you guys thinking about? Who has bewitched you when i think of that word bewitched i think of that show i don't know a few 20 30 years ago that lady that used to move her nose i can't do that it was actually called bewitched i think and uh she was a witch and she'd do little spells and and that's and that's what paul is saying you have been fooled by who the circumcision group they've kind of cast a spell over you they've they've um bewitched you and he says why who before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. Clearly portrayed there has this great little image as well. Uh, in the Greek there, it's got this kind of con uh, concept of like a poster. This, this poster, we've put this poster up and um, it's got all the information there and you hand it out and everyone can see it. And Paul is saying, I, I, I basically put this poster together. I clearly portrayed the message of Jesus Christ to you. You understood it. You grasped it. I clearly portrayed uh, Jesus as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you, he says. Do you receive the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, by observing the law or by believing what you heard? He says it again. Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human efforts? That's what he's saying. You began with the Spirit. It's kind of like that Blondini thing. You've started over the typewriter with Jesus carrying you with the Holy Spirit. Now what? You, you think you can run your race on your own? You don't need it? Are you so foolish after beginning with the Spirit? Are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much? Or some translations say, have you experienced so much? Have you experienced or suffered so much if it really was for nothing? Does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you 
Uh, another translation there says not just among you, but within you. So yes, uh, when, when they believed and became Christians, there was a miracles among them, among the Galatian community. Paul would perform miracles and maybe them as well, but also within them. That, that God did something within them individually and as a community. He says, does God give you his spirit uh, and work miracles among you or within you because you obeyed or observed the law? They didn't even really know the law. That They were pagan Gentiles. But the, these Judaizers have come in and said, this is what it's about. He says, no, no, no. He says, it's either the law or because you believed what you heard. And so, like I said, Paul uses some pretty strong language there. And the reason he does is because this is serious business. He's trying again to make sure that the doctrine of uh, salvation, the understanding of salvation is very clear, that it cannot be earned. You cannot be saved by doing the law or keeping the law or being circumcised or or, uh, going to church or praying so many times a day or going on some type of pilgrimage. That does not save you. doesn't make those things bad. But the only thing that saves you is faith in Jesus Christ. The only thing that saves you is the work that Jesus did on the cross. Belief, trust in that. And so Paul is dead serious. And, 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 and the thing I love about this is um, he says, this is what you've experienced. And he talks a lot here about the Holy Spirit. He said, hey, he said, did you receive the Spirit by faith, by trusting in Jesus? Or did you receive the Spirit by trusting in the law or obeying or doing the works of the law? And the answer is the Spirit only came through Jesus Christ, through belief in Jesus Christ. He says, come on, you've experienced that. That was real. You didn't have that by obeying the law. And it's worth noting here, taking a little side note, Uh, and mentioning and talking about the Holy Spirit. The book of Galatians, Paul mentions the Holy Spirit 18 times. and, And in many ways, he says this. Remember last week we talked about legalism being uh, uh, an indicator or a special marker above and beyond the cross of Jesus. So certain groups have special markers. For the Judaizers, it was circumcision and, and the cleanliness laws and the eating laws or the, more, uh, the laws of Moses. If we read in Corinthians, their issue, their legalistic aspects was speaking in tongues. You weren't a Christian unless you spoke in tongues as well. And so people have these special markers. Different groups have it, whether it be for us, it might be the knowledge of the Bible or, or you've got to have these things. Paul does say that there actually is an indicator or a special marker that you are a follower of Jesus. But what he says is, it's evidence of the Holy Spirit. He says the only real evidence of conversion isn't any of these works of the law. It actually is the presence of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life. That the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer is evidence that they have faith in Jesus, is evidence that they have been converted. And we'll see it in a couple of weeks. Uh, Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit, patience, peace, goodness, kindness, those types of things. That's being evidence. That's an outward spiritual marker or special marker that you are saved through Christ. But again, I just want to stop and and briefly talk about the Holy Spirit because he mentions it 18 times in the book of Galatians. And, And just the understanding, we need to have an understanding of the work of the Holy Spirit in salvation, the work of the Holy Spirit in salvation. The first thing that the Holy Spirit does is actually convict the sinner of their sin. 
So I don't know if, about you, but for me, my experience was actually I did feel convicted. I had this sense that the life I was living and the things that I'd done was not wrong. It was not right, sorry, that I had made mistakes. And where did that come from? Well, the Holy Spirit is the part of the role of the Holy Spirit is to convict us of our sin, but then also to, uh, to reveal Christ to us. Uh, John uh, 16, 7 to 11 talks about that, that the Spirit convicts us of our sin, but also reveals Jesus Christ as the, the Savior of our sins or can save us from our sins. Then the sinner can either do two things. When we're convicted of our sin by the Holy Spirit, and when uh, the Holy Spirit reveals us of Jesus Christ, we can either resist the Holy Spirit, we can push against the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you remember the story of Stephen, the first Christian martyr. He's preaching a sermon to the religious people, and he actually uses some st strong language uh, of himself. He says, you stiff-necked people. He says, you are so stiff-necked, you are so wrong, you actually resist the Holy Spirit. Wake up. He says you've resisted the Holy Spirit. So we can resist the Holy Spirit when it brings conviction and reveals Jesus to us. Or we can respond. We can, we can uh, yield to the Holy Spirit. And when we yield to the Holy Spirit or we give way to the Holy Spirit, we believe and say, yes, I believe that Jesus is Lord and Savior. I want him to be number one in my life. And when you believe, guess what happens? You are born again or you're born of the Spirit. John 3 talks about that. Jesus has this conversation with, with Nicodemus about being, you have to be reborn. You're born of the Spirit. Not only are you born of the Spirit, you receive a new life. And then when you're, when you're converted at that moment, that conversion moment, uh, you've been convicted of your sins. You've re been uh, re revealed Jesus. You've yielded to the Holy Spirit. You've now um, been born of the Holy Spirit. You're actually baptized by the Holy Spirit, baptized in the Holy Spirit. And, and sometimes there's some confusion of this, but the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a one thing. It happens once, and that is when you become a Christian. It happens to everyone who says yes to Jesus. It's not to special people or spiritual anointed people. No, when you say yes to Jesus, you are baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then uh, what is awesome, the reason you're baptized in the Holy Spirit is because you're baptized into community. You're baptized into a spiritual body, Corinthians talks about. And then in Ephesians, it says that actually, not only are you baptized in the Spirit, you're actually sealed by the Spirit. And, and the sealing is kind of like this, this kind of the mark of the king. You've been sealed in the spirit and you're guaranteed that one day you'll share in the glory of God. And, and I just wanted to do that side note because it's really important, the work of the Holy Spirit. That is the Holy Spirit. We can't earn that. We can't do anything to gain that. It's not the works of the law. And uh, we'll see in coming weeks that because of all the stuff the Holy Spirit's done for us and in us, how should the Christian respond? Well, we're going to see that Paul says later that we need to walk in the Spirit. But let's keep uh, reading. Uh, well, we won't keep reading. We'll, we'll see that uh, Paul talks about the Holy Spirit. And then for the next eight verses, he talks about Abraham and the Old Testament. They're the circumcision groups. Oh, I don't know what my circumcision count's up to now. Uh, I've, got a, I've got people saying five, six, four. I reckon I've said it more than four times. But anyway, that group... Uh, they're, they're, they're quoting the Old Testament scripture. And so Paul says, all right, I'm going to argue or debate you with the Old Testament. And he actually says, well, Abraham, how was Abraham saved? How, how did Abraham uh, be saved? And he said that, that Abraham, if you look at the story of Abraham and the life of Abraham, he was saved not by the works of the law. He was actually saved by 
believing in God. It said he, uh, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him. He was credited righteousness. Almost the same kind of understanding of being justified, that we are declared righteous through our belief in Jesus. Well, Abraham was credited righteousness because he believed in God. And Paul says it had nothing to do with the works of the law. And he says that the righteous will live by faith. He says the law is a curse because the law is a curse because it demands that you be obedient. If you want to follow the law, uh, Paul says, and maybe even to us today, you have to live a perfect life and you have to follow every aspect of the law. You can't, it's not like a buffet where you go to Sizzler and you can pick and choose which part you're going to have and take. No, you have to obey all of it. And if you don't obey all of it, you're done. See, the law says do and live, whereas grace says believe and live. And then let's pick it up again in verse 13. Uh, Paul says this. He says, Christ redeemed us. There's another salvation word. From the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree or crucified. Jewish thought said that if you were crucified, it was a curse, obviously. But Jesus takes away the curse by becoming the curse for us. Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us, there's another salvation word, in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith, there we go again, not works of the law, not uh, coming to church or giving a certain amount of money. No, by faith, we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Um, Verse 14 says redeemed. Verse 13 says redeemed. It's a beautiful salvation word again. We've just heard about justified, meaning we are declared righteous. But to be redeemed means that Jesus' death buys back our freedom from slavery to buy at a price, uh, to, to, to be free from captivity or slavery. We can't do that. Jesus does that. So even though our salvation is free, it came at a cost. The cost was Jesus dying on the cross and we have been redeemed. Again, what is Paul saying? He's saying at the foot of the cross, the ground is level. He's saying that, that salvation is about faith. The grace, grace of God and faith not the law. Um, He goes on again. Let me just skip through verse 15 to 25. It's not on your screen, uh, but at least this way we can say we've preached through the whole chapter. He talks about the law. He says the law is not greater than the promise. What was the promise? That everyone would be blessed through Abraham, that Jesus the Messiah will come. So the law is not greater than that promise. The promise that all nations would be blessed because of Jesus. The law was only temporary. The law required a mediator. Uh, The law is not contrary to the promise because he goes on and says, well, actually, it's not contrary. The law and Jesus uh, work together. In fact, the law points to Jesus. Jesus comes and fulfills it. Uh, The law was not given to actually provide life. In fact, the law was given to actually reveal how sinful we are. Uh, The law was given to prepare the way of Christ. And then he we get these four beautiful and powerful verses at the end, and we're going to dig into these verses a little bit deeper. <coughs> Sorry, a bit of a cough there, um, but that's all right. You're not here at present. You're online, and it can't go through the screen. Okay, look at these four beautiful verses, and we're going to dig into these a, a little bit. This is what he says. He says, You're all sons of God 
through faith in Christ Jesus. And don't get too hung up on the fact that he says sons of God. Some translations do say children or sons and daughters. Uh, and I think we may lose a little bit in, in changing that. Um, I will quickly say before we keep reading that not everyone is a child of God. Okay? We're all created by God. God is our creator and we've all been created in his image. But only people who believe in Jesus are now children of God. They belong to God's family. Sometimes we can say, oh, everyone's part of uh, God's uh, family, that we're all children of God. No, only those who have faith in Jesus are part of God's family. He says, you are sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized by the Spirit into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. <coughs> Sorry, such a beautiful passage. And, and what Paul is doing is he's summing it all up. He's summing this all up. And I want to give us three kind of Anthony points to what he's saying. You won't see this in any commentaries because it's pretty kind of basic and like it came from Calma Scott. But three Anthony points that kind of sum up these four verses. The first one is this, keys to the car. You get the keys to the car. Look what it says in verse 26. Paul says, you are sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. I don't know if you can remember uh, when you first got your license uh, or you first started to learn to drive. Uh, it's almost that point where you kind of become an adult. Yes, you're part of the family, uh, mum and dad or, or whatever, and, and you, you, know, you get food and they feed you. And, but there's that point where mum or dad says, here, you can drive the car. Here are the keys. I trust you. This is the car. I remember dad, it was the 1972 Sigma. Here's the keys of the car, AM radio, beautiful thing, beautiful car. Uh, and he said, here, I trust you. And it was almost like it was like, here, what, what is mine is yours. And, and uh, I'm in that process now. My oldest daughter is starting to learn to drive and she's not, I'm not ready to give her the keys to the car. Uh, maybe the Corolla, a little bit smaller, but not the Kluger. But there's this aspect that when your dad or your mum gives you the keys, you have everything. And this is what Paul is saying. You are sons of God through faith in Jesus. Uh, and this term, sons of God, again, some translations will say children or sons and daughters. But, but actually, and, and Tim Keller, if you look at his book on Galatians, digs into this a lot more. He says that if, if, we, if we go with sons and daughters or if we go with children of God, we may miss something that is revolutionary and radically egalitarian in nature of what Paul is saying. See, most ancient cultures, daughters could not inherit property. They couldn't own property. They could definitely not inherit property. Therefore, son, especially the oldest son, actually meant legal heir, legal heir, which uh, again, the, the law said that a, a, a woman was forbidden to be a legal heir, was forbidden to own land, was forbidden to be, uh, uh, inherit any land. But the son was the legal heir. And what Paul is saying here and what the gospel says is this, Male or female, we are all sons in the sense that we're all sons in God, that we are legal heirs. We have the keys to the car. God says you have been adopted. You have been uh, uh, adopted and a part of my family. 
and you therefore inherit all that goes with the kingdom. I think Romans says that and now if we are children, then we are heirs. So there's an inheritance. There's an inheritance. This means that we have an incredible future. We are part of God's family, part of God's future. We inherit it because we are sons, we are children, we are sons and daughters, but we are heirs and everything that comes with that. See, there's a relationship change. With the law, the relationship was different. It's almost like an uh, employee or a servant. An employee goes to work because they get paid. They do their jobs because they, they have to or they'll get in trouble. Or a slave, same, they do because they have to. They're, there's kind of force over, over them. But a child-parent relationship, in a, in, a, in a good, loving child-parent relationship, it's completely different. It's characterized on love and relationship. There's no fear of losing that relationship because it's family and therefore there's inheritance. Not only is the sons of God mean that you have an inheritance, it also means that it brings authority. That as a son and daughter of, of God, we have an inheritance, but we also have an authority. We have a status that is not one of slave, or, but of sonship. Now you might think, well, what's the difference? It's a huge difference. The, uh, the slave or the employee can't walk into the workplace and say, I want this, this and this. You need to change all this. They don't have that authority. Whereas family do. They can say, oh, I don't like where you put your couch or they go straight to the fridge. They have authority. There's, there's an authority. And uh, I think uh, Callus says this, that under your parents, children do have authority in the house. They are not mere so- servants. The children of God are given authority over sin and the devil. Uh, and obviously there's a responsibility that comes with that. And again, Paul will talk about that. There's a responsibility as children to honor the family name. And as Christians, we have a responsibility to live accordingly. So the first one is keys to the car, inheritance and authority. So this week, when you pick up your car keys, I don't have them on me. I want you to remember. I want you to remember. And maybe you need to be encouraged this morning that you are sons and daughters of God, that you have an inheritance, that you have an authority, uh, and that you can have an insurance actually as well, that no matter what happens, that is secure in Jesus Christ. So when you get up, you rattle your car keys, when you start your car keys, remember, wow, car, I got the keys to the car, uh, I am a, a sons and daughters of God. Paul then says the second thing, and this is, we get a brand new jacket. Now remember, this is Anthony terminology, this is, you won't find this in a theological book, Uh, But verse 27 says this, For all of you were baptized in the Spirit, into Christ, uh, have, uh, have clothed yourself with Christ, that you've actually put on Christ, that you've clothed yourself with Christ, that you get a brand new jacket. Paul uses, again, this beautiful image of clothing as a metaphor. He uses the image of clothing as a metaphor, and he likens becoming a Christian or knowing Christ uh, as, as a garment that we put on this piece of clothing. And again, uh, using color as a, a bit of a, a, a foundation, he says, because we got this brand new ja- jacket, because we put on Jesus, we need to do three things. We need to view it as this. Firstly, our primary identity is in Christ. Our clothing tells people who we are. Like it or not, our clothing tells people who we are. 
every kind of clothing has some type of, whether it be a different culture, a different uh, a gender, whether it be a different type of following or even work, clothing, the clothes we wear says something. And, and uh, it, it, it revolves around our identity. And Paul says, when we clothe ourselves with Jesus, our identity is in Jesus. So if I was to show you this picture here up on the screen, I don't know if you can guess what era this was from. I actually got this from Braden's uh, wardrobe this morning. Um, but what era is this? It is 60s. If you, put, if you said 60s, you'd be right. If I was to show you this image here up on your screen, hopefully you are seeing them on your screen. I'll get a thumbs up from the live stream, man. They're all seeing it on the screen. What, what era is this? It's not quite 60s. It's actually the 70s. Here's a guy from the 70s, which I used to mirror my, my, my life on when I was a young, young buck when I had hair, John Travolta, the 70s baby. And what about this era? This was the fluoro era. What year era was the, the fluoro era? It was, I think the 80s, 80s maybe. And maybe you still own some of that fluoro stuff. Uh, here's a t-shirt. You may remember these ones here, Hypercolor. If you owned one of those, you, you were struggling for friends. Um, I owned one of those. <laughs> uh, but clothing says something. It's about identity. Look at the image here now on the screen. We see these guys. They, their identity is in their clothing. Uh, this next screen here has a whole heap of different pictures. We've got police, their uniform and chef, high-vis. If you see someone wearing a high-vis, you know that they're a tradie or they're involved in manual work. If you see that guy up there in the left-hand corner um, with the mullet, he's a bogan. But anyway, it's identity. Uh, and this next screen here, uniform and clothing is all about identity. The Frio Dockers, their identity is to lose. But, but all I'm saying is this, uh, is that we wear a brand new jacket that we're clothed with Jesus which means our primary identity is in Christ. The second thing is it, it, it's demonstrating or showing a metaphor of our closeness with Jesus. What is the closest thing to you? Not as in like a relationship. Your clothes are kept closer to you than any other possession. You put them on every other day. And again, that's an image of how close we should be with Jesus. You rely on your clothes to keep you warm and to shelter. They go with you everywhere, almost everywhere. But 99% of the times you are wearing clothes, they are close to you. Paul is saying Christ is our clothing. And that should be a reminder to call us to remember moment by moment, I'm depending on Jesus. Moment by moment, I have an awareness that Christ is close, practicing his presence. So this metaphor, clothing is close to us. Jesus is close to us. So primary identity in Christ, closeness of our relationship with Christ, and the third thing about the clothing or the brand new jacket is our acceptability to God. Clothing is worn as an adornment. Uh, again, different cultures and even, even Western culture, we wear different clothes for different times to make us look beautiful, to make us look good or to symbolize something. It's an adornment. And actually, what does it ultimately do? What does clothing ultimately do? It covers over our nakedness. And, and, and what Paul is saying is that that's what Jesus does. Remember in the garden when, when we very first, Adam and Eve, they sinned. They turned their back on God. What did God do? He actually sacrificed. He made, he, he, there was blood and he sacrificed an animal to do what? To make clothing for humans to cover up their shame, to cover up their nakedness. And as we wear Jesus like a brand new jacket, it's saying, 
that we are acceptable to God because of the work of Jesus. Here's the thing. Keys, remember uh, that we are heirs. This week, whenever you put on your clothes or take off your clothes, I want you to remember this, that you are clothed in Jesus. Our identity is in Jesus. Our closeness to our relationship with Jesus and our acceptability to God. Last point here. So we've got keys to the car. We've got brand new jacket. And the last point is this. No more barriers or wars. Look at this beautiful phrase or verse in verse 28. Paul says, and again, this is just getting to the heart of the issue of what the circumcision group was saying. There is neither Jew nor Greek. Now you can basically no more nationalities or tribes. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Jesus Christ. That through Christ we are one. Doesn't matter what nationality we are. Doesn't matter what sex we are. Doesn't matter uh, whether we're slave or free or what type of job we have or how much money we have. In Christ we are uh, unified. We are one. I don't know if you remember this diagram here. We had it up on the screen last week about barriers. And and this is what the circumcision group uh, were trying to say. If you look at this diagram um, up on the screen, hopefully it will come soon. Um, But it was the fact that we set up barriers that separate. It's not working. That's I don't know if you remember. It was a picture of a circle and it had the ins and the outs. And the circle was represented by the the works of the law. This was a wall that people literally have to get over to get to Jesus. Um, And Paul says those barriers, those walls, whether it be your nationality or tribe, whether it be uh, where you are on the the demographic uh, economic scale, wherever it be your male or female, those barriers, that wall has been broken down. You see, in life, we're pretty good at building walls, aren't we? We build walls around ourselves. We build walls around our communities to keep people out. Jesus says that has no place in in the church. Jesus says, and Paul says, that has no place in the gospel, the Christian community. I don't know if you remember a few weeks ago, Braden talked about a Jewish prayer. And the Jewish prayer was this tradition that, uh, that a Jewish man or the head of the Jewish household would start their day each and every morning with, with a prayer. And his prayer would be this. He says, thank you, God, that I'm not a Gentile, that I'm not a woman, and I'm not a slave. And it said that, and this is Jewish tradition, and you can pick it up in, in a lot of Jewish readings, that the devout Jewish man would pray uh, that he was so thankful that he wasn't all three of those groups. Um, it sounds like a really weird prayer to pray. But when we look at this verse, it's almost like Paul is pushing exactly against that prayer. The prayer is uh, that that he's not a Gentile, not a woman, and not a slave. What does Paul say? There's neither Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female. That in Jesus Christ, we are all the same. No more barriers, no more wars. Cultural barrier gone, the class barrier gone. The gender barrier, gone. And the key point here is this. I'm a Christian before I'm any other of those things. Yes, I'm male or female. Yes, I'm an Italian or Australian. Those things still exist. Uh, Yes, I have to go to work. We, We understand all that. 
but I am a Christian before I'm anything else. And if you're a Christian, we, that's what unites us. Um, those other things should not separate us. Racism, uh, classism, um, uh, sexism should have no, has no place in the church, has no place in the gospel. And again, if we look through the history of humanity, we, we've, all we've done is we've set up classes, we've set up a, a system of, of ranking, again, on, on economic status or, or wealth or, or, or race or religion or gender. And the gospel pushes against all of that and says, in Christ, we are one. Now, there's an outworking in that. And, and we need to be practicing that and endeavoring that. And we want to be a church that lives that as well. So keys to the car, brand new jacket, no more barriers. Hopefully you got all that. Uh, and, and now this leads us to a really important point. And I'm so glad that we get to celebrate communion together today because that, that passage, let me read it one more time. Um, here it is. He says this, if I find it somewhere. He says, um, You are all sons and daughters and children of God, full inheritance, through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized in Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. The blessing that is, is according to the promise. And so this morning, we take communion to remind us that at the, the foot of the cross, the ground is level. We're all equal. No one's more important or more spiritual. You don't have to do anything else to, to get to heaven or to get closer to God. You can't do anything else to get closer to God. It's only through the work of Jesus Christ that you are justified. You are declared righteous when you say yes to Jesus. You are declared righteous when you say yes to Jesus. I want you to, if you do have your communion elements now, to get your communion elements ready. Um, we're going we're gonna to take communion in a second, but just have them there. Um, I don't know if you remember the story, the, the band, you guys can't see this, but the musos are, are pushing down on me. They're ready to get up on the stage. We're almost there, not quite. But if you remember the story uh, when Jesus is on the cross, it's it's well-known story, and the two criminals either side of Jesus, and uh, one of them's mocking Jesus. Uh, if you you saved others, if you're the Lord, if you're the Messiah, then why don't you save yourself? Why don't you save us? And you, you said you did all these other things, but you can't even save yourself. And and then the other criminals kind of like telling that guy, "Hey, mate, shut up." we're here because we are sinners this guy in the middle he's done nothing wrong and and um and then he says to jesus he says jesus uh i'm a sinner please remember me when when you get to your kingdom and what does jesus say he turns to him and says today you will be in paradise with me and it's a beautiful little little story but i often think about that and reflect about that when that when that criminal died on the cross what what would have happened you know, I could imagine him turning up at heaven, rocking up at the, at the front of heaven, and uh, the angels there like, wow, I wasn't ex- expecting you, and kind of gets out his resume and like, oh my goodness, are you sure you're meant to be here? How, how come you're here? And the, the criminal on the cross that was next to Jesus kind of is looking around like, actually, I'm not, 
I'm not too sure why I'm here either. I'm a little bit surprised. And, and I could imagine maybe, and again, this is just making it up, uh, that the angel said, hey, hang on, I need to go and get my supervisor. Uh, he's going to have to come and, and clarify this one because there's no way you should be here. Give me two me- uh, seconds, I'll go and get my supervisor. And, and then what? The supervisor would come and say, hey, whoa, wow. Not sure how you're coming in here. Um, and then he may have asked him a question. Okay, let's see, see if he can answer a few questions. How about you explain to us the doctrine of justification? Uh, the, the criminal's probably thinking, no, I don't know. Uh, and okay, okay, well then just answer this, this question. How come you are here? And I think at that moment, the criminal would say, the reason I'm here is because the, the guy on the cross in the middle, he invited me here. The reason I am here is because the guy on the cross in the middle said I could come here said I could come here. And, and you know what? That's the same for every single one of us. Now, our resume may not be as long as the criminal on the cross. Or actually, it may even be longer, but it does not matter because the reason why we get to be here, the reason why is because the guy on the cross in the middle says we are, says we can. He invites us. And that's what Paul is talking about. And that's why this is so, so important. We are justified not by anything we do. We're justified by grace, the grace of God and our faith. We're trusting in Him. So where is our communion? Here it is. Um, We're going to take communion today. And I I want you to um, take the bread, remembering uh, the works of Jesus on the cross. Um, When He died on the cross, His body was beaten and broken uh, for us. Yes, it is free for us, but there was a cost. He redeemed us. He paid the price. So just now, in the stillness of your heart, we're going to take the bread, uh, and I'm just going to let it sit for a bit, and we will drink together. Let's take the bread. now we're going to take the grape juice or whatever you have that represents the the blood that was sacrificed to cover our shame, to cover our guilt, to pay the price for our sins so that we may have life, so that we may be sons and daughters of God, so that we may have the keys to the car, so that we may be clothed with Jesus, so that we are unified and there is no man, woman, Jew, Gentile, slave or master. We are all free in Jesus that is something to be celebrating. Let's, let's do this in remembrance of Him. Let's bow and pray. Most gracious Father, we thank You. We thank You again for the reminder that Paul gives us in the book of Galatians that we are justified through faith in You. Nothing else. There's nothing we can do. We get to go to heaven. We get to be here because of the, the, the work that the guy on the middle cross did he says that we can come and it doesn't matter anything else doesn't matter of our past doesn't matter the mistakes we've made um, it doesn't matter how hard or, or what we try to do to become better people that doesn't matter what only thing that matters is belief in you your death and your resurrection lord i thank you for that i thank you that that brings freedom 
uh, Lord, that grace is uh, believe and live, whereas legalism and law is, is do and believe. Thank you that all we have to do is believe and we live. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.